Hello, hello. Welcome to the Generic Foiling Podcast. Freddie here once more. Uh, I'm not going to hold you for long because we did do a little bit of an intro at the start of this episode. Um, All I'm going to say is, as always, you've come to expect it. I've cocked up the audio on my side. It's me. It's my audio. It's shit. Deal with it. I can't do anything about it. I messed up with the microphone. Just get on with it. We'll make it better next time. Enjoy. Right. Welcome to another episode of the Generic Foiling Podcast. Freddie and I are meeting online with Sam Light today. Uh, this is going to be an interesting one for Freddie and me, given that we're both long-time kiters, and most of the questions that we're wanting to ask Sam are about the what we consider to be the glory days and what I suspect he considers to be the glory days as well. But I'm sure we'll get a bit of foiling in there. So welcome, Sam Light. Hey, guys. Thanks a lot for having me on. Yeah, please be here. So cool. that's the formalities be- out of the way. Before we get stuck into that history, yeah, you were just explaining to me what you are obviously with Slingshot International. What's your role nowadays? It sounds like you've just moved. So, yeah, so who are we I, talking to officially? I, I wear lots of different um, hats for uh, for uh, Neil for for Slingshot. Um, uh, I was team manager for a couple of years, and then the start of this year, I changed into more of a marketing manager, social media role. Um, so I'm, yeah, managing all the social media accounts, YouTube, organizing, producing shoots, stuff like that. And then obviously still, you know, trying to churn out my own videos, but as I'm making so many videos for Slingshot, I definitely haven't been making as much content for myself. Um, but yeah, over the years, just producing content, it it seemed like a natural evolution, you know, of, uh, kind of figuring out the algorithms of social media and stuff. So now I can apply that to Slingshot as well. We should come back great. to that. We should come back to that later. And you know, I'm really curious as to whether the whole clickbait model actually works for our industry or not. But I think that's something to get stuck into later. First of all, we like to you know put people at ease by taking the piss a little bit as usual. And I saw a couple of clips recently of you winging in what looked like prime freestyle conditions in La Boca on a recent trip to the DR. <laughs> so, mate, your life has changed, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. <laughs> Did the boots come out for that trip or no? I didn't even take any boots on that trip, no. So that was uh, a shoot that I organised and produced, at, you know, for Slingshot. And the goal of that trip was just foiling content. I was there to predominantly shoot um, prone foil content with Manuel Selman. Um, but it also got windy every day and it was like the first day. And Manuel was like, let's go to La Boca, just get warmed up. And yeah, I didn't even take a twin tip or boots or anything. So it did feel weird because the last time I was there was about, I don't know, it was something crazy like 15 years ago. I did my first PKRA in Cabarete. And that was the last time I was there and at La Boca. So it was funny being back. But yeah, I, I spend the majority of my time foiling now. Um, it, it's changed a lot. That's where I see the progression and that's what I'm addicted to at the moment, really. That's not to I'm say sorry. I don't chuck on the boots occasionally when the conditions are right, albeit I, they were perfect at La Boca, but I just didn't have a setup. I probably would have taken one for a spin if I had one. Um, now, how are those rewinds? Are they still there? I don't know. <laughs> it's been a few years. <laughs> I haven't tried. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I would have the that strength, you know, because 
I haven't been keeping up my cable wakeboarding as well. Like I used to go, you know, a couple of times a week and you get so much like muscle memory and strength from, from cable that enable you to do those high level freestyle moves. Um, I'd like to think so. Maybe a couple of days, maybe a week in Brazil just to get dialed in. I think it's all there. Occasionally when I go to the cable, I've still, still got the moves, but those explosive ones are, you know, a lot of strength based. So, um, but how much do, how much do you ache then the next day is a question? Yeah, yeah. Um, probably a lot. I mean, as I say, I have not been for so long. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that time when you were churning out cable videos. I really, really enjoyed that. Liam and yeah. I were actually just saying that, um, Liam has the idea that as we're now same sort of age as you, early 30s kind of thing, he wants one last soiree into the freestyle scene. He wants to go and do what, like a week away or something. Yeah, a week. I don't think a week can be very productive. I think no, it'll have to be a little bit longer. And we want to do hypnotics next year. There's a chat of some friends of ours doing hypnotics cable next year. Because again, I think we, Liam and I don't ride cable anymore, which is such a shame because North Devon's just up the road. It's not far. And, yeah. You know, I have. I was actually down in Windsor the other day and seeing one of the paddleboard shops that I deal with there. And the last time I went down, random little story, uh, I knew Liquid Leisure was like down the road and I was like, I'm fucking, if I'm going to Bray Lake Water Sports to chat to the guys there, I am going to go to Liquid Leisure at the same time because I was fresh in the job on the road for like three days and I was like, I am making time to go. And I ended up actually, I think I arrived late or something like that and I ended up only getting like an hour in at Bray Lake and thankfully it was, uh, sorry, at Windsor, at Liquid Leisure and it was the absolute height of summer so I didn't, I was like, fuck it, I've only got 45 minutes to an hour, no wetsuit, I'll just just go as hard as I can. And I stood on the dock. I was just about to pop in. I fucking looked to my right-hand side, and Nick Davies jumped up next to me. I was like, <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, shit, here we go. Okay, this is a different level. And then, like, neck behind him, the Peacock brothers were warming up as well for a little session in the afternoon. I was like, oh, I just should not be here at all. This is horrendous. Trying to get out for, like, half an hour after uh, after not riding for five or ten years or something like that. Yeah. Horrendous. Anyway, no idea where I was going with that. But it'd no, be I... interesting to know the crossover between the freestyle as well, uh, just purely from the wing side of things. Back muscles, shoulders, mainly back, I guess, how much that crosses over with the freestyle stuff. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, I think for me, the cable, I just saw an opportunity. And like when I, whenever I'm learning and progressing, I, I tend to get addicted to that feeling of like getting better. So... And then also I saw opportunity within like the, the park um, scene, the kite scene, um, and also having the access to liquid leisure in the cable parks near me. I kind of figured out pretty quickly that a lot of the other kite park riders just rode kite park, whereas I could like ride world-class cable parks down the road. And liquid leisure was really good for me, gave me a membership for a few years. So, you know, I could go up all the time um, when there was no wind, I would go cable. And then it, when it was windy, I'd go kiting. So uh, they complemented each other really well. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I remember watching, um, you know, we Liam mentioned very briefly, but, you know, you were at the pinnacle of the UK scene back in the day. Yeah. As you and Tom and James and Aaron. Anyone else yeah. I'm forgetting? Uh, uh, that was were, sort of the, the UK crew, was, was but the then core. there was others, yeah. Yeah, but your, your cable riding excelled over the other guys because I remember watching videos. Um, Tom sucked. 
Shot Tom's is horrible. Um, yeah, Boulders, Boulders. I don't think he'd really jumped into it too much, did he? And then, it, but it was cool watching like Aaron try and catch up as well because you had a lot more style yeah. with everything that you were doing there. But obviously, he had the whole ability level of Aaron Hadley. Yeah, for sure. But couldn't hit a rail initially <laughs> yeah. to save his life. Uh, yeah. Changed a lot. But yours, you had a lot more. I think was the word steez back yeah. in the day. Thanks. I don't think that, that, that word exists anymore, does it? Yeah, not so much, definitely. Um, no, yeah, thanks. I think um, it was just one of those things I, re- I really enjoyed it at the time, and I think that comes out in your riding. And I probably rode more than anyone else um, because Aaron was always travelling. You know, he wasn't based where I was. I had the closest cable park near me, so I think it was just a matter of me being able to put in more time than anyone else that, that establishes that style. style as well. Yeah, yeah cable, sure. cable style was very different to kite style. You could tell when you watched when you watched like the what was the event at the CWC? The the wind or no wind or, or the no wind, wind or no, or no wind. wind. <laughs> yeah. uh, when you start when you started watching those kites ride wake and you're like, you guys can't you can't do this. And then you but then you you saw the progression. I thought that was awesome at the time. I, I really enjoyed watching the cable progression into kiting. Um, yeah, yeah, it was really fun actually. It was nice just establishing. Just landing new tricks, you know, landing tricks that had never been done kiting all the time. Um, it was a really cool time. And it was just a really good bunch of people, you know, all, all the crew from the park scene back then. Um, now all have filtered into roles in the industry. Um, That's what you know, I like. They've all stuck around, yeah, because it, it just, yeah. I think was a, for some reason that time, it was all of us that kind of got together and pushed each other. And then have stuck around, so yeah, it's really cool to see. So when when did the transition to foiling happen? Because you would have been very much in all of the premiere video releases, kite freestyle still when kite foiling started to become a thing. But as yeah, people have so- heard us talking about, it was racing at the beginning, and I feel like a lot of I, I remember um, I was working with Steph Bridge at the time, and I remember her communicating with Tom Court and. I think there was someone that had sliced a leg open locally to them and it was all a bit like, what the hell is this thing? The only dude that's doing it's hurt himself. It might have even been his dad, was it? So like, what was everyone thinking at the beginning? Uh, So I've got a bit of a sailing background. I I grew up doing a little bit of dinghy sailing and and have a little sailing boat now. So foiling always really interested me, in particular kite foiling. Like I just thought it always looked really cool. So I learned to do it pretty early on, but didn't like post, you know, make make content about it. But in the summer, light wind and slingshot were pretty like hot on the foiling game as well. So kind of had pretty good kite foil gear early on. Um, But then I guess kind of like the addiction grew and grew over time. I was a, a wing foil NATO at the start, like a full on this is rubbish it's not it's a fad like yeah it was so funny i was in hood river at like the first awsi and slingshot had like an old windsurf board with a foil track on it the first sling wing um and i went out in front of the whole awsi and just made a fool of myself couldn't even get up on the foil and came back and i was like man i don't know about this like if i can't do it (laughs) how's anyone gonna learn um but I think I was just all on the wrong gear. You know how important it is, foiling and in particular winging to be on the right equipment. I just think I was on like a, you know, must have weighed 20 kilos, the windsurf board I was on. And there wasn't enough wind and I was on a tiny little wing. Sling um, wing probably weighed 20 kilos back then as well, didn't it? Exactly. And then I fully ate my words a year later. I was like, I now 
mostly wing. So <laughs> yeah, that was well, when the dark was... came out, Freddie. Yeah, we'll save that. Save that. We'll come, <laughs> we'll come back to that in a minute. Once we spawn, we'll come back to that because he owes us some money for advertising that. So we'll, we'll come back to that one. <laughs> now you're a convert. Yeah. So yeah, I was a a naysayer on the wing foiling at the start and then fully got the bug. Um, yeah, now I probably do it more than anything else, along with a lot of other foiling, wake foiling, toe foiling, a little bit of downwind foiling. As you know, I'm uh, really good mates with the swift foiling lads, so we're always hanging out, foiling, towing, winging. Um, There's definitely yeah. that little hub, mainly those two and a couple others, I guess, now with that downwind side of stuff. They've been frothing about it since I went down to chat with them ages ago. That was a long time ago now. Yeah, definitely. Really, the Swift boys were ahead of the curve really. on the downwind foil stuff. And I think just like going back to wing and foiling again, like hailing just happened to be, it just happens to be a really good place to foil, you know, like growing up, we used to see these waves peel along the sandbar and never really break, you know, and we'd, I'd be out, you know, spent 10 years kiting out there, boosting off them thinking, oh, there'd be such amazing and such perfect waves that stand up. But they were never powerful enough to surf and paddleboarding is a bit boring. It's like a mile out to sea, you know, it never really caught on. Um, and they just happened to be perfect for foiling. So yeah, it's really cool to, to be able to like utilize, you know, your local beach to its best. In some cracking footage that you put out of, of hailing working. Um, yeah. It's funny when you chat to people and they kind of say, you know, it's very rare that hailing works, but I mean, judging by some of the stuff that you've put out, when it does work, it looks bloody awesome. Yeah, on its day, honestly, it's as good as anywhere. You know, I've been to some good spots over the years, and honestly, yeah, you can literally have a mile-long wave. Like, the sandbar goes out, you know, over a mile out to sea, and you can catch it further out than the sand is. So, at high tide, yeah, it's incredible. It just is very fickle. Um, It's very tidal. You know, we only get good waves generally around high tide. In the summer, we don't really get that much swell um, because the Isle of Wight blocks Hailing Island. So it has to be like a really decent swell for it to get in. So, you know, we don't get like good enough waves to surf. You do Wittering, which is only a 30 minute drive, but um, it's off the island. So don't catch me going there too much. (laughs) I met the... um... The, there was a video popped up a little while ago of one of the lads getting caught in the shore dump. I think it was a hailing one. It? It's brutal. Yeah, I met him at an event. I was asking him about it, but yeah, that that did not look fun. I mean, I've been caught. I've been caught in a couple of bits of shore dump, but nothing that sort of size. Yeah, I know. It I mean, savage. it helps getting your gear for free, like running out into that stuff. <laughs> sure, if I <laughs> if, if I had spent three grand on my kit, like. I could just get another one, but yeah, it might change my mindset going into it. But I had so many funny days the last few winters because um, the best waves are at high tide, but it's when you get the biggest shore dump. Um, and yeah, it can be head high shore dump for sure. You've and got to commit though, doesn't it? It's funny you say you about getting the gear. You like run. You just have to go. And actually, yeah. if you do just fully go for it, most of the time you get away with it. But it is if you're being hesitant that you get caught out. And straight southwesterly here is like slightly onshore. So, you know, if it's just a few degrees south of of west, it suddenly becomes pretty onshore. And in 25 knots with shore dump, trying to paddle out, it does get pretty hairy. Um, but yeah, that's the price you pay to get out there into the best waves. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So yeah, often it's just me out there because I'm the only one that will try or get out. <laughs> is there? There's a good community though. I mean, uh, yeah. When they go there, when when Kiahi was over, we were there for that. We had a good session there. There was there was tons of people out there. Yeah, uh, I would I, say I'm, like it's well overtaken kiting already. To be honest. I would say on average it's sort of a three wings to one kite all of a sudden. Um, yeah. And yeah, there can easily be changed. 30, 40 wings out. Easy on a good day. What's the situation with the beach at the moment? I know you've had some issues on the beach with erosion and stuff like that. What, car yeah. parking and all that sort Unfortunately, of um, the groins were deteriorating so much. They took a view that it was too much money to restore them properly. So they did like a managed retreat. So they basically just took all the groins out and then just lost the car park to the ocean. Like within a few months, basically the waves just washed away the car park, which is a huge shame, which has actually really impacted the kite scene, I think, because now you have to walk maybe two or three times further. And it was already a five, 10 minute walk to get there. And now it's like a 15 minute walk, you know, Um, you can't just nip and check the conditions. Well, you can see the conditions from the car park, but to actually get to where you're allowed to launch a kite, it does take about 15 minutes now, especially into the wind. So it's, it's a real, what, real um, shame for the whole water sports community on the island, really, because it is such a popular place for people coming down from London. Um, and that area that they've lost or we've lost to the sea was the main car park for all water sports from supping, you know, recreational supping, kites, wingers. It was all that car park that was closest to the sandbar that has now just disappeared. It's mad how quickly that the sea just swallowed it up. However, the waves are way better. It's basically flattened <laughs> out the beach. And hmm. now there's actually a break where the groins used to be. And there's even like shortboarders surfing there when the waves are good. Wow. Um, but it does make it harder to get out winging because now it's a much flatter beach. So we've got like, you know, lines and sets coming through rather than just one massive shore dump, which you will find the other side of the pub. But, um, yeah, pros and cons, but it's a shame that we lost the car park. Especially when kiting's going through a tough time, potentially at the same time. You want it it easier to access, not harder. Yeah, for sure. I think kiting is, um, but then at the same time, I think it will go full circle. You know, yes, wingy is more accessible, and has probably taken a lot of the kite sales, you know, people that were maybe going to buy a new kite probably bought themselves a wing or a foil instead. But hopefully it will come back around, you know, like at the end of the day, it's the kite company selling wings. So it's, you know, able to keep the money coming in. Winging's growing a lot. It's another category. Um, and I like to think that people that perhaps like learn to wing that probably maybe didn't learn to kite might get comfortable being in the water doing wind sports and then in a few years be like actually this winging on flat water is kind of boring i might get a kite foil or i might get a, you know learn to kite um so maybe it'll come back around you know i've had um when it when it's light i often get some of the wingers that i'm friends with here in exmouth make comments when it's you know 12 knots and i'm out on a nine kite foiling and absolutely blasting and they're yeah. all on six and a half, sevens, and just mowing around. That's when you really get comments from those that don't kite and wing that are like, oh, actually, that looks bloody good. Yeah, kite foiling is just so much more efficient than winging. Like like you say, you can be on a tiny kite in no wind, ripping along. Um, 
yeah, for me, just flat water, it's like I would almost rather kite foil um, because you can go so much faster and more efficient. It's different. Obviously, learning to wing has been fun, you know, doing a few twirly whirlies and stuff. But I do enjoy wing foiling inside the harbours and estuaries where you've got like places you couldn't kite um, boats and like, you know, narrow channels that the wind's super fluky. Like I kind of like that that novelty aspect of winging, you know, like I've been going under some bridges where I live. There's lots of big estuaries and harbours that you can explore. I mean, like it's a really fun lap wing foiling around Hailing Island where I live. Um, I've done the fastest I've done it is 58 minutes, but often like I can do it pretty cruisy in like an hour and a half. So occasionally if I just fancy, you know, I'll just rip around the island and go winging by myself, which is really, really cool because you go into these zones where you would never be able to kite foil. So I like that aspect of winging, but if it's just out the front, flat water, yeah, kite foiling feels way cooler. So you said you circumnavigated the Isle of Wight recently on the wing. You've done that on the kite a couple of times, haven't you? How did they compare? Yeah, it's a whole different beast doing it, wing foiling, for sure. I've done it twice, kite foiling. The first time... I did it with Tom Court. We did it in like five and a half hours, but we really took our time. We got the tides wrong. We stopped <laughs> at Hearst Castle for 30 minutes. We messed around the needles for ages. So we we by no means were trying to set a record. I went back a year later and did it by myself with better tides, still not perfect, but I did it in three hours, 45 minutes, which was pretty decent. Like the, the like fastest time ever is, just over two hours, I think, um, which is like a massive trimaran. Um, what did Guy do? Two and a half, I something think, like that? Yeah, two and a half. I think he missed it by like five minutes or something. So I think if I got the tides perfect, I could get closer to three. I think without race foil stuff and foil kites, so, you know, I couldn't actually get anywhere near the record. But it's nice just... I just love the the personal challenge of it. It's a re- it's really gets the old endorphins going going that far away by yourself, you know, being unassisted. I love that. I love that uh, feeling of, like, you know, being exposed and and completing a mission. Um, It gives me so much, like, gratification to do stuff like that. So winging, so basically the story of wing foiling behind last year, or maybe even the year before now, the the Isle of Wight Sailing Club that organised the Round the Isle of Wight race, which has 1,500 boats, one of the biggest attended sporting events in the world which i have sailed before they organized a wing foil race because no one had ever done it before and they wanted to kind of like piggyback off the success of their sailing race and they just chose a day for it um, and got all the permissions from the harbormaster. did it all legit we had our own safety boat per rider there was four or five of us that attempted it so it was a big logistical nightmare and they just and it was like 12 knots of wind and they had it booked in and we were like messaging before saying, guys, look, like there's no point even starting. Like this feat is a, is a huge feat in the perfect conditions, let alone trying to do it in 12 to 15 knots, you know. But it kind of like tumbled and snowballed. It was like, oh, well, we'll meet up anyway. Maybe it'll be windy. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's 12 knots of wind. Let's try. And then it was just like peer pressured into it. Um <laughs> And we ended up trying it, and I, and I did about seven hours. We started about 1 p.m., I think, because that was when the tide was good. And I gave up after seven hours, so I was just like... It was only me and Ross Williams left, 
and we were, we were like neck and neck. Um, everyone else had given up. It was pitch black. And Ross had a bigger wing and a bigger foil. And I was just dropping. I was pumping like constantly to stay on foil after seven hours. I was just like, do you know what? I'll come back and do it again. Like I could <laughs> just murder myself for another hour, two hours. I'm barely making any ground. I'll, I'll let Ross have it. And I kind of maybe had a little bad taste in my mouth from them trying to do it when I just all day, I was like, why are we doing this? You know, like, and it was a long time to have that, that, sort of bad feeling in my head so i was like i'm gonna come back in seven hours man yeah did did ross finish yeah ross finished it about an hour and a half later than me like i'd it was about half nine at night or something it was mental he did about eight hours um so i'd always wanted to go back in concrete i'd had my eye on it all summer we just haven't had much wind we had that you know terrible start to the summer and then we finally got suitable conditions actually got a new boat uh, like a little fishing boat. I had a sailing boat and the little fishing boats for these missions. So I loaded everything up, went over the night before in the boat, camped in the boat, woke up 6.30 in the morning, set off and, and uh, we, me and Tom stuck together. I mean, I, I could have uh, could have burnt him off, but decided he wasn't load slower than me. It was like just about keeping up enough for me to wait for him, you know? <laughs> so, that on that dual shit. knees. Yeah, so uh, we did it in about five and a half hours, um, and yeah, it's it's a serious, serious effort, but it is also really, really cool. Like the Isle of Wight's spectacular, and it's pretty like going around the needles and stuff like that. It's so cool. Um, so you're not just doing this for the views or the likes, then? Do you actually enjoy it's it? Both. I love it. Yeah, definitely. I kind of um, realise that that's what I enjoy doing. And that's also, it's kind of like my sort of niche that combines like sailing the areas that I love to explore and people like also like making videos that I like to watch. And I love watching people going on adventures, um, sailing adventures, you know, fishing adventures, whatever. Um, I like kind of coming along for the ride. So I figured, you know, I'll try and do the same and and the island thing circumnavigation is really cool because there's obviously pretty much endless islands you can circumnavigate and there's something that just feels cool when you complete going around an island I don't know what it is but there's something a little bit extra about your session when you uh you know complete and like yeah we went around uh, Antigua with Jake which is pretty cool went around the whole country kite foiling which is actually slightly smaller than the Isle of Wight um and we had boat support, which having boat support doing these missions, you know, obviously takes a lot of pressure off. But when you're solo, like the solo one I did around the Isle of Wight kite foiling, um, that was scary. You know, like just going around the needles in 25 knots when it's like, you know, four or five meter waves just out there by yourself. Like, just like I've got no business being out here now. What, am I what did you take? Just yeah. like, you know, you took a phone, a couple of phones and all their food and all that stuff, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Basically got a camel back, um, some some food. Um I've actually got this thing called a yellow brick tracker, which is what the offshore racers used. Um, which connects to like the Iridium satellite network that you like buy credits for that it that transmits your position. Um I don't have like an EPA, but the yellow bricks basically instead of that, I can hit a distress button, which acts the same like an EPA, even though they don't advertise it as, you know, an EPA and a safety device as such. It means that basically 
I can have my phone on airplane mode and give people the link, like my family or, you know, I'll tell my dad, right, I'm going wing foiling. I'll be about six hours. You know, if you don't, if you, if, if you don't see me moving for like an hour, come uh, get me. <laughs> yeah. Maybe call the coast guard. At least they can see me. It, it reports your time, your last position, how fast you were going, stuff like that. And also you can send texts on it as well. Pre, pre like recorded text to pre recorded numbers. That's um, cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The battery lasts, you know, like years and stuff. So it, that's quite nice for peace of mind. But yeah, and just a phone, really. I mean, the Isle of, going around the Isle of Wight, you have pretty good signal. Um, so do have a few safety bits of kit. Very cool. Excuse me, very, my very laptop's cool. dying. Carry on, I'm just going to swap to my phone, but you guys carry on. I'll be back in a sec. Well, yeah, I'd love to do more um, circumnavigations, to be honest. Just finding the time, really, and long-distance foiling it. I love how much, you know, ground you can cover foiling um, along the south coast or other islands. Yeah, there's well, lots of places on my been, hit list. That's always, yeah, that's been the good thing about the, the kite foil side of things, hasn't it, is the adventure. Or the, yeah. the, the covering distance, that was always the big appeal there. I can't say I do too much covering distance with the kite foil stuff. Like Liam said, it's very much more the lighter winds. But we did say the other day about the downwind side of things. You know, yeah. Where we are, we're not sure how it's going to work yet. We'll make it, we'll do what we can, but we're not too sure. But the idea of the adventure behind it, we are going to go in 30 knots from here to here. Hopefully everyone's going to make it, no one's going to drown. And someone's going to pick us up the other side and we're going to have a freaking amazing story to tell at the end of it. That's (laughs) what's cool about it, isn't it? That is what's good. For sure. Yeah, I can't explain what it is, but it's that just all going aboard that trip and adventure and and making it out the other side. There's also something about sailing adventures where, like, you can't go back. You know, once you've committed Mm. down this path, you know, there's no going, like, it's harder to go back. So you just have to keep going forwards. That's why these things are so addictive, aren't they? Because there's there's no going back to these things that, you know, it's once you've committed to doing something, because I guess from a philosophical side of things there's very little that you can't just back away from nowadays exactly which is why, yeah which is why people are so enthralled by stuff like that it's why people want to watch these videos i guess because yeah they're not and I, willing I, to do it i get the same feeling you know like completing a mission than i would landing a trick you know that on the cable park or kite park that you know haven't landed before or no one landed before you know it's slightly different but it's got that same feeling of endorphins that you get from completing something like that so and and wing foiling actually feels safer than kite foiling even though kite foiling you can cover a lot more distance wing foiling i feel a lot more independent like i'm i'm less nervous wing foiling because you know, I take maybe a seventy liter board, something that I could spend. You know, you could spend all night on if you had to. But you know, even if you lost, even if you lost your wing or something, you could still paddle yeah. it. You know, you could paddle it a long way. Whereas kite kite foiling, let's say your kite pops or you break a line randomly, and you're in the middle of nowhere, then you're in. You know, you you basically have to get rescued. Yeah, agreed. Uh, speaking to a chap up in Scotland who no doubt is going to listen to this podcast at some point. Uh, he was doing a lot of downwinding up there and he said he's cocked up a couple of times and it's gotten a little bit more hairy when he's been on the lighter or the smaller board. So when he does take something like even just a 50 litre or a 60 litre board, yeah, they're a lot less comfortable 
than the likes of a 70, 80, 90 litre board, something a bit bigger, which is an age-old conversation we keep having. I yeah. do really want to drop down. We've got a, a 55 litre thing um, coming back from repair at some point that I'd like to get on, and that's going to be fairly small for me. And it's just yeah. how many how many negatives are you willing to put up with to get positives of riding a small board? And I think, you know, if you were doing something like a seven-hour adventure, you're never going to want to go for something uh, no. too small because your so negatives So I, I, I chop and change important. between a, a 50-litre and a 70-litre and my, like, two go-to boards. I probably spend... I reckon 70% of the time on the 50 litre. I spend most of the time on the 50. Um, but I definitely have got caught out a few times because I'm just what? lazy about it. Like my foil would be on the 50. I'll just, oh, it's a bit of wind. Blast down the beach for a session. Get out it's there. It's okay when you're, you're, when you're at home. Yeah, but suddenly you're out the back, stood up to here in water in like 12 knots of wind going, bollocks <laughs> I, I messed up here yeah and had to like paddle all the way back in which sucks and yeah it is i think winging is such a fine balance isn't it about being on the right gear you kind of want to go smaller and smaller until until you go too far and it and, it, and yeah i've had that in like choppy conditions or when there's waves all of a sudden you can't even stand up when like, like why? Like I've seen yeah. my, my, I've done it myself. I've watched other people do it for just 20 minutes. You just like, what is going on? I can't, yeah. I can't stand up. So it's a conversation we, we have far too often between yeah. ourselves and I don't think it'll ever be solved because there's never going to be one board for everything. If you wanted to make it more nimble, but it's just, yeah. How many, how many negatives are you willing to put up with? I guess. Because it yeah, can it can bite you. That's another one thing I love about foiling is that there's all the like different sort of um, compromises. You know, you can go with a smaller board, but then it might be fun to go with a much bigger foil. You know, or a smaller board and a really big wing, so you can ensure getting up onto the foil. You know, or you go the other way. You go for like a bigger board and a smaller wing. You know, so you can throw the wing around more. Um, Yes. Options. Yeah, there's Plenty a lot of options. options. Which keeps it fresh, though. Like, going in the harbour, I like to have the, you know, the bigger board, because if you get stuck in a lull or something, you can still get up and going. I did figure that if you're doing your um, circumnavigations at Hailing, and you're, if you're doing it in one direction, say, it must get quite lumpy around the backside. Yeah, I still, if there's a decent breeze, like, and I know I'm going to get on foil, I'll, I'll, I'll take the 50 litre. Um, it's only really marginal conditions I'll take the 70 or light winds. Right. Very good. Foil-wise, what's, uh, what's in the slingshot range that you're using? So right now I'm predominantly using the G-series wings, um, and they have those G700, 800, 900, and 1,000. Um, they're kind of like mid to high aspect, What's, uh, what, what's mid to high aspect nowadays, numbers-wise? That's a really good question that I should know. Uh, keeps change, it just keeps yeah. changing as well. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Let me look at my computer whilst we're chatting, and I'll, I'll come back to you. But they kind of, like, scale as well. So, like, the, the G1000 oh, yeah. is, like, much higher aspect. And then as they get smaller, they tend to go more uh, lower aspect. 
Um, did you, so, um, Liam, I don't know, did you see on the Axis Foil Riders group this week, Adrian, giving someone shit about that exactly that point? No. Well, worth, worth having a look. Anyone else is having a look. Someone's complaining, why does your aspect ratio go so much higher when you get to the smallest models in some of the wings? And Adrian just gave a very Adrian answer to uh, <laughs> <laughs> to it, which I, which I very much enjoyed. So the G700, uh, which is my go-to in like cranking waves, is 900 surface area and a 5.4 aspect ratio. And obviously it's called the G700 because it's 700 wingspan. So... So many uh, numbers. Yeah, and then you compare That's that quite to low the... aspect, isn't it, really, yeah, by nowadays standards? Yeah, it is fairly low. The G series is a bit lower, Um we think we have a PTM series as well, which I also use alongside the G series. Um, I kind of chop and change between the two. But just to but say about the, the G1000 is 7.4 aspect ratio, so that's much higher. Um, so you must, I mean, that's pretty wild. If you were to own the 700 and 1000 as a two-foil quiver, they're going to feel very bloody different. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, like, going a little bit lower aspect on the smaller foil as it just becomes a bit more user-friendly and, you know, less sort of skittish and it's just a bit easier to use, I think. Um, well, especially when you're looking at those, um, just using that in the bigger waves. Same as what yeah. you said, Liam, isn't it? Going, to, going towards something like the Phantom, tiny Phantoms for for, for smaller waves. Yeah, I'm not saying bigger it's a bad waves, thing. I'm just, I'm, I'm, mm. that's, that's quite a difference, isn't it? For the same foil of the series i would have imagined that those two wings have feel very different that's all yeah they, they do feel different partly because there's there's like massive ends of the spectrum regarding wingspan and surface area um but yeah obviously oh yeah sorry you said a thousand so i suppose yes yeah, that's span that's actually quite a significantly different area again yeah. than i suppose so like the g1000 is yeah 1350 surface area um so that's kind of like the biggest foil I use. But seems to actually have a bunch of new stabilizers coming out really soon. Oh, oh, um, there it is. There it which is. I've been using. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if, yeah, this will probably come out after it. their relaunch. So um, they've got, basically what? in the past, we had a 400 stab that would, would come with everything. And then they brought out a 325, uh, which was like, a big jump to the 325 it had winglets and the pitch was quite sort of down it was like nose down so it was really good for very aggressive fast riding kite foiling and stuff but winging it was a big jump you'd have to have your foil way further forwards um and put a lot more power through like the stool speed would be much lower with the 325 but you'd have a lot more top end you know um so they're releasing two new ones the 340 and like a v-tail um i think which is 360 which kind of fill the gap between those two previous stabs um which i've been playing around with a lot yeah the 340 is just similar to the 325 but a little bit you know more user friendly and the 360s like the 400 is pretty big you know it kind of almost does a disservice to any front wings that are smaller than you know a thousand surface area there's no point having a 400 stab on on a on a tiny front wing so um the v-tail 360 is going to replace that on the smaller front wings uh which is quite nice i actually find the v-tail really interesting um i've always been curious the, the armstrong one 
because yeah. uh, it's, it's such a different looking rear wing than anything else that they produce, and nobody else produces one. So I'd be intrigued just to know how yeah. that performs. So it's yeah, slingshot. I kind of realise now have always had quite a locked in feel for our foils. You know, we've always had like kind of winglets, which is feels like the foils more on rails. You know, like you're you're riding a longboard or something. Um, but going that flatter profile uh, or V-tail really like loosens up the yaw um, so you can turn it a lot faster like that way, um, which again is like, you know, horses for courses, personal preference. Um, when I change to the V-tail, I'm like, oh, I don't know, I quite like the, the locked-in feel, but then you get used to it and you kind of like a looser tail. So, Well, you get I've used been... to it, isn't it? And if you're getting... Uh, if you're trying loads of different kit and, and yeah, mixing things up a bit, it's always good. I was just to find that when you go kiting fins or no fins. Yeah. Neither was, or even mainly on the cable going back to that, neither was better than the other. But once you got used to one, exactly. you, you, rode, you rode like that. Do you remember them Hyperlite premieres? Just out of interest. No, sorry. 2007. Massive built-in fins. The thing just gripped like crazy. So you didn't have to ride fins. And I remember jumping back on a, a flatter board, riding no fins, and thinking I can't, I can't ride this. Just can't, yeah. couldn't ride it at all. Same, same kind of thing. If you get used to a locked-in feel, and then you jump onto something that's a bit skatier, it's not to say it's a bad thing, is it? It's just going to take you a while to get to grips with. Back, back to that V tail. I mean, in theory, it, it, it shouldn't. It's the same as having a bit of dihedral on on the wings. It shouldn't, um, in terms of top-down view yaw, it shouldn't make that looser, I don't think. But what it should do is it should make it roll from one rail back to the other quicker in the same way that a dihedral on a wing would generally be good for flagging and sort of either be stable sat in the middle or keep waving back one side to the other but always trying to return back through the middle i believe that so like I, I, i'm saying that i wonder whether is is that what you feel when you go on it like do you notice the speed at which you can transition from one rail yeah, back to the other that makes sense definitely yeah i think just maneuverability really with the v-tail it's like a lot more maneuverable it feels like it's got less drag also for the the surface area so it feels like similar lift, maybe not quite as much as the 400, but a lot more manoeuvrable with a lot more top end, um, but not as much top end as the smaller ones, but a lot looser feel. So, yeah, that makes sense with what you're saying, how it should feel for sure. I'm really struggling to um, f- figure out the difference, feel the difference between changing front wings too much. I'm getting really, from my own riding's point of view, listening to what you say there, I'm not sure I'd feel like the the increase or decrease in top end, low end, um, that kind of thing. I'm really struggling. I don't know. I don't know how to get better at that. I've started uh, I taking know. out a watch a lot more, which is quite interesting. Right. Um, because you can see your speeds and your average speeds is quite interesting to see how that changes. That's a bit like, I notice if I um, have a... <laughs> If I have a smaller stab, suddenly my top speed will be like way higher, um, or my yeah. average speed as well. So Maybe it I just keeps it fresh for me, speed. like you say, changing yeah. it up. Like lately, I've been like I use small. I was just 
small foils, smallest everything for ages. And lately this summer, I've been all about the big foils with that smaller tail. So like in the harbour and stuff, when there's no waves in the summer, going around buoys and boats is really fun having that manoeuvrability, but the tons of lift, you know, and, and low speeds to be able to like cruise around estuaries and harbours and stuff without just dropping off the foil, you know. And it makes like doing the twirly whirlies and 360s that I like to do because I'm not I'm not a jumper I don't I don't ever do foot strap foiling um so I kind of like that yeah I've enjoyed uh, uh one of the video a few of the videos I, I really like your I don't know what presumably it's a tack into waves tack into waves and a foot swap and I mentioned it on another podcast of ours oh cool a few a few months ago I saw it's so stylish because you're literally dropping into a wave as you're swapping feet at the same time and it's obviously just a necessity of what you do and where, you know, the, how hailing comes about. Yeah. And because I I'm, I'm, I'm regular um, and hailing's always coming wind from the right or predominantly for our like prevailing southwesterly wind and waves, then I'm going out goofy and I'll see a wave coming up and I'm always like, damn, I just want to keep cranking around into that. Um, yeah, and eventually I've had a few that have on film out the back that just feel so cool when you like just carve into an upwind tack and you suddenly get that lift from the wave. But why don't you commit. do it toe side? Why? I, it's much easier. I do. I learned to do it toe side and have a few clips of me doing it toe side. It's just easier toe side. But also you kind of awkwardly have to switch to toe side before hitting yeah. the wave. And if you've got loads of power and you're steaming towards the wave, you kind of have to back off a little bit, change your feet, and then carve into the wind. There's something that feels quite sort of fluid and like flow to just like, you know, you see it pop up in front of you and suddenly inhaling, the waves kind of pop up anywhere. So you suddenly see one and you just whip round into just, it. I can't get my head around because you're literally at, so you're whipping round, right foot forward, carving yeah. on a wave face. And then as you're sort of passing your wing either behind your back or over your head, you're yeah. also swapping your feet at the same time whilst you're getting as horizontal as you can. It's that foot swap. Because I'm yeah. sat there watching it thinking, I really want to learn this, <laughs> but I'm going to miss so many waves by trying yeah, to learn Yeah, I know. That is the thing. It's just that commitment. I've definitely missed a few. In fact, a couple of days ago, we had some rare swell in the summer. And I started in the harbour with no leash and uh actually got a text from bully like as i was about to hit the water in the harbor with my dad because my dad's got addicted to winging now as well which is cool but he was like waves out the front i was like sweet cheers mate and i winged out the harbor to the front beach where there was waves got out there and had no leash so i was like obviously winging without a leash in waves is very dangerous having learned from this not dangerous but you lose your board so easily because the board just goes and goes and then you can't get to it. Um, had a wicked session. By the end of the session, kind of just forgot that I had no leash <laughs> so, and did that one of those tacks with the foot swaps, swapped my feet and just fell off backwards and just pushed the board onto the wave like perfectly and just watched the board go off at the end of the session like, oh no, oh yeah, you've got no leash. You've really messed up here. Luckily, my friend was out and managed to kind of slow the board down while I just front crawled to it. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I was uh, I was out surfing, foiling with Skippy actually in Crantock a while a while ago now, and uh, there was a longboarder out there, leashless. Yeah, and he was so fucking amazing. 
absolutely yeah. amazing. He didn't lose his board. He was in. He had more experience than any of us did out there. But it was so impressive just to watch what this guy was doing on a wave because he wasn't just stood tracking along a wave. He was foot swapping the whole way down, like walking up the front cool. of this board, carving around. And it was only about halfway through the session. I said to Skipper, "I was like, he's not got. A, he's not got a leash on." He's already, like, I'm watching him thinking, this is impressive, <laughs> impressive, impressive to watch. And then when I realize he's no leash on as well, because you just think, how the hell do these guys get to that level without going through thousands of boards by trying to do it that way? I guess I it's do just think, a learning um, skill, though. Yeah. For me, foiling is also like, a bit like skateboarding. I still do a lot of skateboarding, and you kind of learn to fall. And I think foiling is very much like that as well, like – you definitely can fall in a way that doesn't kick away the board if you're conscious that you don't have a leash. And I will remove everything like that if I can. Like, if I'm in the harbour, I'm I'm taking off the leash. And even lately, I've been taking off the wing leash too in the harbour as well because I lo- I've just been messing around, like, throwing the wing around and doing, uh, you know, I don't know what they're called, cowboy tacks. And the leash just gets so annoying. And I like the wrist leash for in the waves and knowing where it is, it, it gets annoying when I have uh, the wing onto my waist, but yeah, if I can remove all leashes, I will. And I, I like I think that we'd all challenge. Be like that, though, wouldn't we? we would. We'd all be like that. I think we're probably at a point now where we probably shouldn't condone that kind of thing. But <laughs> that's the reason I think a lot of kite servers really enjoy um, winging. Even yeah. we spoke, we were chatting to Guy the other day about it, and he was, you know, he, the reason he doesn't like waist leashes is because he spent twenty years with a harness on he doesn't want anything around his waist he just wants a, a so wrist or something to a, freeze you up a wing harness he wears he wears a wrist leash but no like wing harness no one around here uses Wh- harness no. Yeah. That's, no one does I find that bonkers anyone without a harness I'm like what are you doing like why well, we've, we've decided winter time we obviously yeah keep going through winter and we noticed last year that it was I get so much more out of my sessions wearing a harness. Like I can't emphasize enough how I'm able, I can go upwind and rest at the same time and then catch another wave and my arms are fresh. I've had time to get my breath back. If I like catch a wave, come off and then to get back upwind, I've got to lean all that power of the wing through my arms. By the time I get back to the, to catch another wave, my my arms are fucked and I spend the first 30 seconds on the get, wave. They don't get guns like that, though, actually. I mean, I've, I've hung on to a cable a fair few hours in my time. <laughs> I can I can hang on to a wing just as much as anyone else, but it's just like, for me, it's inefficient. I'm wasting I'm wasting energy. Like, surely, if you ride a wave and you've got to get back up wind, then you've got to bloody hang on to the wing. Like, And, and, and like, the waist harnesses are so low profile, it doesn't detract from my session whatsoever. So I think it's one of them that I've dabbled... I've only used one twice, once, not properly wow, either. That well. is bonkers. But, but because we've never done it, no one we ride with does it. We only go out for. I think that was the one thing I decided. If 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 we were going out on a weekend, for instance, to say we went to Damer or well, we went yeah. somewhere big for a big day out, I can see the appeal because it does. After chasing around Skippy for a couple hours and then going, I can't hang on anymore. I can't yeah. do any more than a couple of hours. After a couple hours, you do need you do need a harness, and you can definitely extend your time in a harness completely. So I wouldn't be surprised if we come out of winter this year, because the main thing for us is 
We like riding spots that blows northwesterly. It's quite often freezing as fuck in the middle of February. It rains or whatever. And yeah, in the winter, it's just because you, you're you just holding on. It's just yeah. blasting you all the time. So I think through the winter, we do. We definitely decided we want to. And I've got a harness sat there waiting. We just haven't done it at all. Um, I honestly I think by the in time particular the in waves because if you're if you're traveling, you know, a few hundred meters downwind, you got to get back somehow, and it's not fun trying to hold on to a wing and go at wind. So why not make it easier on yourself? We don't have waves at the length that you do, though. I mean, even Dama Bay has long waves, but even if it's 100 metres, I, I don't know. Sorry, that's, that's a secret spot. That's a secret Sorry, spot. Sorry, that's secret. my fault. That's really I've, secret. I've brought that up, but I shouldn't, yeah, I shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> I don't think it's that secret. It's Paley <laughs> Island's pretty secret, isn't it? Uh, no, no, far oh, from it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah well, we'll, we'll dabble. We, like I said, we, we've decided we're going to... And and again, from time on the water, time on the foil is the main thing, isn't it? I suppose for us, when we're only going out for an hour at a time, hour and a half at a time, it's never really been an issue for us. But if you were trying to get out for two, three, I'm sure no one's going more than three hours on a wing. I still, so, like, yeah, maybe occasionally in the summer, if I'm going out for like 40 minutes in the harbour, I might not take it, but... Nine times out of ten, I take a harness, even if I'm going out for half an hour, because just that well, you kind of like because I put so much effort in pumping, trying to get up, being on a small foil and a small board. Then as soon as I'm up, I'll just hook in and spend thirty seconds just getting that that you know instant energy back before being able to do something. Yeah, so, I many of those because I've only ever tried a harness. I think one or two sessions, and it was probably after about. Mm, nine months of winging maybe and um i had some pretty hectic crashes where i yeah get the old windsurf catapult got the windsurf catapult yeah had any of those loads especially around um going around the isle of Wight, trying to like get the gopro out trying to film yourself winging uh in like head high waves around the needles going Whoa, and then you suddenly just boom, yeah. Can't, you I mean, can't it's get not your, as bad as windsurfing, but... You can't get your, hey guys, welcome to the vlog. Yeah, it's a little bit harder to do winging, but I like the challenge. Um, if you get your harness just right, I can. If you get a good setup, I can just about. It depends how hectic it is. Um, oh, yeah, well, plenty of catapults, but you, if you're not holding a GoPro in one hand, you can see them coming. Um yeah, and I find I can take more wing out as well. Like then I'll I'll rig a meter bigger wing so I can take a smaller foil because I know, like for me being overpowered on a wing, there's those very few disadvantages because I just hook in and just smash. You know, if you're overpowered on a wing, then it makes it way harder. But I'll just like be able to take a really small foil, especially in bigger waves. You just take a massive wing and just hook in. And just so what are you, what are you are you using one of the ride engine yeah things? yeah yeah just the 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 ride engine wing harness they brought out another one now which i'm hopefully getting looks, soon but yeah just the first smart. one yeah they always look good what's the um i know there's obviously a relationship between slingshot and ride engine is it as close as it ever has been or so they're different? basically owned by the same parent company um their own yeah slingshot and ride engine um it's run they have different uh like brand managers marketing people even a few different like designers um 
but then we share kind of uh like certain marketing employees like i i I do ride engine social media as well as slingshot so um it kind of crosses over but they're independently is it coleman buckley yeah so it was coleman that uh made the harnesses originally here's a question for you sam are the production ride engine harnesses now as comfortable as the custom ones they used to make for you lot yeah i i mean you might think i'm just saying this but i think they're comfier now partly because like the uh first custom ones were um less polished you know like you used to get a few cuts from the rivets and things like that and you know <laughs> like you like the i had that i was like had the very first ones and then you know like coleman was making them in his shed and you know they they didn't have that same finish and i think i'm also lucky to have a fairly kind of generic shaped back so even like a, a standard medium i mean i guess i should go back and try it and that would be the only way to know but I think once they'd figured out if it's roughly, you know, contoured to an average of someone's back, then it's still going to be uh, better. But, um, I mean, I've actually been running the, the soft shell lately. I, uh, a couple of years ago, broke my ribs um, just before the King of the Air, and they've always given me jip ever since. And actually, I found the, the soft harness, right engine do a soft harness now, a little bit easier on my ribs so i've actually been running the soft harness for a year or so try, now uh, you want to try the mystic warrior three oh yeah still still that's that's nice and soft is that one yeah 90, 90 keeping... second interludes um what are your thoughts <laughs> on big air nowadays are you just as blown away yeah uh i, I kind of i guess not saw it coming, but saw this new generation uh, is super impressive for sure. Um, yeah, it's really cool to see how much it is growing and developing, you know, evolving into with all these new tricks. And it's cool to see that the gears, you know, enabling them to progress it further. Um, yeah, I think it's just the big air time, you know, like we had that little park time when people were learning stuff and landing stuff all the time and, and uh, you know, big air is is here to stay. I think for for the foreseeable future, for sure. I what I like about it is that big air was you know in in your heyday, big air wasn't a discipline, was it? It was it was oh, it's no. too windy to unhook. All right, it's <laughs> basically time to go and do some guide loops, and that's that. And now that's a discipline. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, yeah, I basically learned to kite in straps and quickly went into bindings and just learned handle passes. Like I never learned a board off before learning a handle pass. Like I could do a slim chance long before I could do a board off. Um, and then when they came back around, I just like, obviously, you know, was a hater and like just <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't refuse to wear straps for as long as possible. So then when I did finally accept it, it, it took a while to, to catch up and i'm still pretty ropey on the board off so i i, I admit i can do a few board off kite loops but <laughs> no I, I just don't don't practice it enough really um and i think like the kids now grew up watching the king of the air and you know like they just it's instilled in them so much those board off rotations and stuff like that so 
No, it is really cool. I think anything, you know, it brings a, a lot of eyes to the sport, which is really cool. It has that wow factor, the big air. I do think that, um, I think the brands have kind of maybe jumped on it so much just because like, I think the big reason why it gets so much support as well is that it gets the views because the general public watch it. And then if the brands like, you know, kind of evaluate where they're getting the views, then, you know, they're following the likes and numbers that the big air gets, then it naturally gets more support. So, uh, that was always the issue, wasn't it? Back in the day. Yeah. Go, has that wow people? factor. Yeah, it just never did, is, did it? Because you were traveling, so you know you weren't, you just weren't traveling as far. I guess the metric, it's a bit easier. The thing is, you what, you know, you 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 watch, you watch you lot doing double passes back in the day, and with the exception of the aspiring freestyle riders, ninety-five percent of your average kite surfer doesn't even do a rally, and therefore, yeah, to see you lot do whatever you do has no relevance to what they're doing whereas you can have the most extreme big air rider and even though way more riders can kite loop nowadays than ever could before but they're still not doing a lot more than just that but the most extreme riders are still the ones that are going the highest and the average goal for a lot of kiters is just to jump as high as possible so at least they can look at it and go, oh, look, matey, what is it? They've just released that core XR Pro or whatever it is. And straight away, there's been some records broken on the woo. And it's a very translatable metric for sales, isn't it? Because your average exactly. rider can relate to simply going the highest. For sure. Um, yeah. And I think that uh, like wing freestyle has become the new like freestyle of, of kiting, you know, like I don't know, for me, watching like the back flips and front flips and, and 1080s is a bit like like 90% of, 99% of everyone that's bought a wing kind of probably doesn't have any interest in trying to do a 1080 on a wing, you know. They just want to go like harness some energy and catch some waves. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it's interesting. So what are your thoughts then with the whole... You know, you, you, you've signed up for this new job as social media manager. How do you evaluate social media success in such a small industry? Because everyone thinks, oh, yeah, you know, the, you, you, you have the likes of, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example. Like Hannah Whiteley always gets used as a really popular example. And it's like, okay, but yeah, she's got a lot of regular punter followers because her content's the like marketed the way that it is but like does that re- result in any sales or not so like how do you yeah define that your is strategy? the age-old question with uh you know some of the women of instagram is uh you know how many of those people liking those booty shots are actually going to buy kites you know probably not not that many but the numbers speak for themselves and it's the only quantifiable thing as a team rider you know i've always been really hot on that as a team rider like presenting my value to sponsors has enabled me to to maintain um being sponsored for so long and actually being able to make a living out of it like so many riders don't do that um so i think it really like to come back to your original question is all about the goal really obviously a brand's goal might be different it's not all about the views as a team rider you know you might want to like educate educate customers about a product or you know you kind of like have a mix of like the sort of hero content um or or kind of the the content to keep people engaged in the brand or the the aftermarket content the service you know product 
how to video. So it really does depend on the goal as how you kind of evaluate the success of the social media, see, I think. No, maybe Hannah is, is a, or, you know, that style of marketing is a different one, but the likes of Fred Hope, for instance, that must be a fairly quantifiable. For I sure. put a video up of Fred ripping and we sell UFOs. Is yeah, that, exactly. Is that, is that I mean, more of an apparent thing? Absolutely, yeah, definitely. I think Fred's a quite a, um, a what's the word specific case because he's he's the only person in the world that does what he does. You know, he's extremely valuable to Slingshot because of that. Um, because yeah, no one does the tricks that he can do, uh, and yeah, he's arguably the best kite forwarder in the world. So um, yeah. For me, that is a huge amount of value for Slingshot. And obviously, it's like just a raw trick that will get loads of views. I think also that's foiling, I guess, has a bit of wow factor like Big Air as well, you know, because, you know, we've all been on the beach when like someone goes, how the hell does that thing work? Like, that's so cool. You're flying, you know, like you are, um, which I think foiling has that wow factor, which is quite cool. So when you see someone, Fred, you know, spinning and, kind of redefining what what that is um yeah i think that's very quantifiable for sure who, who so what does a rider in... like fred hope sort of contract look like what does your typical foil riders contract look like nowadays is it like a base salary with bonuses based on engagement or bonuses based on competition or is it rider specific Can you give some examples yeah, I think the uh, all the all the contracts are very specific to the riders based on their skill set. So you might have some riders that you know might have appearance incentives, or or some riders need incentivizing. You know, so they might have video incentives, so they get X amount of views, you get X amount of money. Um, Fred is also a little different now because he actually has a, a full time job for Slingshot. He's not only a rider; in fact, he's more of an R and D product tester developer actually now so um fred hope and brandon basically work alongside each other testing developing products they both live in hood river at slingshot hq and are in the office every day like yeah fred's got the nine to five job so he not only is like a pro rider as such um which is something fred wanted you know he wanted to build his career and i think that he became sort of uh, privy to the fact that, you know, being a team rider for a long period of time is hard to make proper money, you know. So he kind of wanted to to get, you know, an actual more of a substantial role. Um, and, and it was a natural fit for him because he's got so much foil knowledge. Um, you know, him and Brandon combined really well with Brandon having so much like freestyle, twin tip, just all round knowledge. Um he looks to be paragliding more than anything else at the minute, isn't he? Speed, speed winging. He does do a lot of that, but he just is a full-time adrenaline junkie. You know, he, he's speed winging in the morning at seven in the morning. He's in the office by nine. You know, he's out w- testing wings by ten. He'll be kite foiling in the afternoon, but um, he loves it. Like, like that role is perfect for him because he just loves to be on the water. Um, Brandon is kind of like I think what they call the alpha tester. So he's like the the main the main tester that puts it before it goes to the B testers. And then Fred actually is involved in managing those like the next round of testing. Um, so he will 
get the okay from Brandon and it works. He'll test it. And then he, Fred manages like an army of testers that then, you know, the foils and, and products go to them and, and Fred manages that feedback and then they work together to make the product. What, um, what does Slingshot HQ look like with regards to worker bees there? Who, who's there? Who's at the top? What's the hierarchy? What, what's the business layout? How big is it? I've no idea. Yeah, um, I guess uh, there's probably, I don't know, 20 people that work in the office in Hood River. Um, it was started by the Lagos brothers. Um, you may know Tony Lagos, who was renowned building windsurf boards in the gorge back in the day. He was also super good windsurfer and started making kites and, you know, some of the first kite products. Um, but Tony kind of like is a mad scientist, you know, he's, um, loves building stuff, foils, whatever, like he just builds stuff and rides it and builds stuff and rides it. Isn't kind of like business minded. So he brought in his brother, Jeff Lagosh, who's kind of the business minded, uh, one of the, the partnership who's kind of made it into the brand it is today, really. So, um, yeah, it's changed a lot over the years, but I've been working with them for about 10 years now, actually. So and you were saying time. before we before we recorded actually today, you were just telling us what you've done this afternoon then. So, and I, I tried to put you off because I did want to figure out what it, what it was and what your role actually is. So what, what have you spent this afternoon doing for work? So, ch- chat yeah, I mean, day to day, I'm basically producing content, making videos. Um, today, we had like a bunch of marketing calls, European marketing call, then there's like slingshot marketing call, um, and then a social media review. So, um, yeah, it's basically just all marketing content, really. Like in this modern day age, you need so much content. Um, and having done it for so long for myself, you know, maintaining like, there's one thing I, I kind of clocked about three or no, I guess we, I guess like the UK crew kind of, not started it, but we were the kind of some of the first riders that became more media riders rather than competition riders. Um, you know, back in the day, I actually, I rode for Nash like a long time ago and like I was doing PKRAs and Kevin Langare was like winning. And then I signed for Nash and they were like, Oh look, we don't want you to do, um, PKRAs as this new, like thing called Instagram. We want you to like, you know, make some, some stuff on this, um, and focus on that. So, I've always been like interested in creating content um, for myself and then yeah more and more so basically o- over my career um, I realized that I enjoy it and then I guess I got better at it and then like yeah having cranked out so many videos and kind of learning how the algorithms worked for YouTube and Instagram um, then it was kind of like a natural progression really for me to um to move into content creation. And and I really enjoyed the team management having, you know, worked or been a team rider for so long. I I know how the system works and it was really nice to share, you know, some of the knowledge that I learned over the years and help them succeed and and help them help Slingshot be more efficient at that. Um, But at the same time, it is a lot of like logistics, planning, organizing, you know, kit is going to be there. Um, and it took me away from time making videos, which, uh, you know, I really enjoy too. Like 
actually like writing emails and organizing contracts for team riders is a, is a lot more kind of open-ended you know it can kind of like whereas i love just getting into like making a video and creating content um so yeah i really enjoy that aspect you don't have to talk to people while you're doing it either can you yeah, there's no distractions for sure, definitely. And like I, you know, obviously being outside on the water is the ultimate, but uh, getting like pulled different directions, I find it, you know, hard to focus. Whereas if I'm like making a video or something, um, kind of get lost in it for a few hours. So, but I've also been making a few videos for O'Neill lately as well. I just helped them make uh, the new Hyper Freak Wind uh, wetsuit video, which was quite cool. Which is nice, not only working for Slingshot, but work I've been sponsored by o'neill for a long time as well so it's really nice also working with them too and are and you we got actively... a budget coming ready for a generic foiling podcast video series that maybe sam could produce well it's fucking gonna <laughs> at least at least then it might actually happen but i think it'd be out of our budget now is a problem here he's been in well, this no, game I'd, too obviously long obviously i'd uh i'd happily just help you guys out no no <laughs> but like I'd, I'd just give you as much advice to make it yourself that you need the, the thing we don't like all these things it takes a long time to like get you know faster editing and and learning what makes good you know you have to make all the mistakes first before you figure out how to do it you know that's the thing so do you know what i was thinking the other day i was chatting to tom my colleague about it as well it uh we we are shit with sound quality and audio and we we keep trying to get better and better and better but it's a perfectly good sign that if you've got good content the quality doesn't matter so, quite so much because people do want to listen to who we want who we're talking to and what we're talking about and i was just thinking about tom bridges videos it doesn't matter if he does if 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 he doesn't put any editing into any of his videos you know 10,000 people are going to watch that video. And that is such an for impressive sure. sign for a brand and for a rider Definitely. in general. That That's what I really like about YouTube as well in particular is like Instagram's algorithms are, yeah, very set up for like that fast-paced TikTok style, you know, viral video But YouTube's really cool. That's similar to like a podcast. If it's just good quality content, you kind of don't need all the promo posts and everything. It just, people listen to it. So then the algorithm actually promotes it because they're genuine, you know, it's good content. People like it. So um, I find that like fascinating, you know, because like you guys know you, you do a lot of second guessing. um, You get very like self-conscious. You think you sound weird. You look weird like everyone all your peers take the mick out of you like especially vlogging you know like you just get ripped to shreds but at the end of the day you're the one laughing when you can turn around and you know you've got sponsors or views or you know opportunities off the back of it so you kind of just have to just keep keep on keeping on you know and and i try not to watch the videos back too much to just like move on to the next one and try to care as little as you can about what people think for sure because you can you can second guess yourself so much that you just don't make content. Like like most people never start podcasting or, or making videos because they're like, oh, it's rubbish. Oh, I can't put it up, you know, like, oh, I just, it's not very good. And yeah, it's probably, they'll probably be rubbish for a year, but you have to make like, you know, hundreds of them before you get really good at it, don't you? you I was going to say to you there, Sam, and, yeah, I know, when you were talking about your background, I don't know whether you, 
we're trying to be humble, but I would quite happily say when you started your vlog, you were for sure one of the first. And you must have got, yeah. like, I remember at the time being like, I, I'm not going to lie. I like, I'm YouTube addict like anyone else. I'm not a fan of the, yeah. it, like, deliberate vlog style, you know, like making it, making up a story rather than there being a story, I suppose would be the way. But, and so even I remember at the, at the beginning being like, what the bloody hell is this? And then, you know, like you say, <laughs> within 18 months, everybody yeah. was trying to get involved and it's pretty much you and Kevin that have got a success and that's it. You filled the space and you continue to fill the space and then you're going, yeah, well, fuck you guys. Exactly. Yeah. I, I saw the writing on the wall. I mean, I still felt like I still feel late. I wish I started earlier to be honest. And probably spent a year or even two procrastinating. I made probably, I reckon I made getting on for 10 vlogs before I posted one. Like, no way. I was like, yeah, this is rubbish. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I still thought the first ones were rubbish and just, yeah. But yeah, like Jake obviously was was early on. Kevin like got a lot of views really early. And um, yeah, I, I, and I liked watching YouTube back then and just thought, yeah, it has so much potential for sure. And I, I like how the algorithm works. Um, but yeah, I, um, I can yeah I'm not a huge fan of like the really like, hey guys, how are you doing? So I try to make it as sort of as if I was chatting to your mates, but it's a balance because if you're like quite engaging and enthusiastic, then it does keep people watching. So, it, you know, you do have to kind of muster up a little bit of enthusiasm because I'm normally quite chilled and mute so i try and uh get a little we, bit hyped we've got no we got no luck then liam we got absolutely no luck <laughs> i think it's just a bit uh, maybe slightly an english thing you know to just we, we're fairly monotone as as a country aren't we i was chatting with Kelsey <laughs> about that in antigua because he is you know for quite an introverted guy he's got yeah. one of the most natural camera sure. presences of anybody in this industry and it's like I think people from uh, Antigua are just so cool, you know. Same like Andre Philip, they just <laughs> I don't know what it is in the water there, but they're just so cool, aren't they? They're yeah, just you're so not wrong. chilled. Um what's going on uh what's the outcome of the meetings that you've had today then? What's 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 moving forward marketing for Slingshot? What's yeah. the big thing to push? What's what what's on the agenda? Tell us more about uh, Slingshot. Yeah, so we've got obviously the 2024 launch coming next month. Um, actually, we've got a whole new logo and everything, so it's quite Whoa. a big launch. Oh, bloody yeah, hell. Yeah, big, you and Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, big, big launch, um, which has been sort of uh, leaked a, f a little bit. Uh, but, uh, we, yeah, we've got these new stabs coming that I, I mentioned Really nothing specific was in the meeting. We were just talking about the upcoming deliverables. I'm actually releasing all these uh, videos I made in the Dominican Republic with Manuel Selman. And I'm trying to put out one a week, which, yeah, the goal was to just go there and film everything foiling. Is and this where you were prone foiling the other day? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was one of the few waves I got. I mean, it's quite, as you know, hard work, but... um. I hadn't really done any prone foiling before and we didn't really have much like slingshot content prone foiling. And we have Manuel Selman as a team rider who, if you don't know, he's a, a QS surfer who went to the Olympics, like, you know, proper pro surfer surfs at a really high level and also shreds foiling as well. But it's kind of like his, um, you know, hobby, like surfing's his thing, but 
he also we we just you know flow him and got a product um but yeah we didn't have much surf world content so i was like pitching to slingshot saying hey send me to dominican republic i'll i'll go film and produce a bunch of content with manuel um it just so happened to be really windy so we did a bunch of winging and stuff but managed to make like about five action videos from there so like a prone foil video, a wing foil video, a kite tow foil video. So I was like towing Manuel downwind foiling whilst kiting. And then we had one video that was just epic, like prone foiling, wing foiling in the afternoon at some really cool spot. So yeah, I haven't been making as many YouTube videos for my own channel because I've been making a lot more for Slingshot really. So uh, yeah, we're just planning when those videos are going to come out and also organizing all the kind of like marketing assets that go with that you know for instagram and all the different channels because obviously we have foil wing kite you know and then also ride engines so it's just making sure um yeah one thing i've only just started doing the instagram accounts the last uh couple of months so um i'm really trying to increase the cadence really because obviously the algorithms um, you know, reward you for posting more regularly, but it's a balance between obviously posting quality content, um, you know, than just uh, quantity, but it's just finding that balance really because so much content you create just goes into a black hole. You know, we do so many shoots and stuff. Um, there's so much you can do with the content. Um, so it's kind of like, yeah, just figuring out ways to repurpose it, re-edit it, or, or use stuff that hasn't been used before. So, yeah. The question I was curious about is, how do you know much about the detail of how Slingshot's sales vary in the different main categories worldwide? uh good question i not really no not enough to actually talk about it um yeah i could find out but i don't have any numbers off the top of my head um rough, and rough percentages no sorry i'm yeah, always curious I'm, I'm always you, you, you do you know you see such different distributions and i i always get tricked into thinking that do you mean the, regarding like the size of the the sport within? No, no, no. You know? I mean, I mean how how um, how well each particular brand does in different regions. Oh, okay. You know, like I'm curious as to whether Slingshot having their base in Hood River, like actually, are they a big brand in North America compared to the others? How's their market share? Okay, compared yeah. To their competitors vary in different countries. Yeah, again, I couldn't tell you that much compared to other brands because um, obviously I don't know the information about brands. I, there was some GKA emails that I've been copied into last year, but I don't have any like new numbers to tell you accurately. But I could tell you like just regarding Slingshot being a North American brand, you know, that is their biggest uh, region. Um, then closely followed by like, Germany and then the Benelux region and England, Italy, Spain, France, similar to the other brands really like, um, but obviously like Slingshot being a North American brand that that is their biggest region, but I don't yeah. know how that compares with, you know, Duotone in, in America. I don't know. I couldn't tell you that. That's interesting. That's isn't that? Yeah. Well, but people Duotone often so also right. think like Slingshot wakeboarding was like, really big for slingshot but actually you know kiting 
is far bigger um, from like a an income side of things just because kite products are so much more money, you know? <laughs> Oh, really? You That's interesting. You, uh, yeah, you would have thought yeah. even even with that, you would have thought the wakeboarding in North America would just heavily outweigh all of that. Um, yeah, I no. remember the, uh, the when the Shredtown boys were putting out their videos at Pace. Every sucker at the cable had their Shredtown Pro model and their boots with the liners and whatever else. And being a kiter, I always like was on it and saying, "Oh no, kiting still <laughs> much bigger," you know. <laughs> It's just, a, you know, kiting and winging and foiling, they're healthy industries because most people have to spend a couple of grand to get into it. Whereas, like, the cable wake scene is some spotty teenager that, you know, buys one board every five years and uses it till it dies, you know. So, um, you know, they might spend a thousand pounds at the most every every five years, whereas the your average the fact that it's a thousand pounds for island. Yeah, yeah. But your right. average foiler showing up at, at Hailing Island, you know, in his Porsche, has probably spent about ten grand or something. <laughs> Not in a transport, Sam. Yeah, probably a, a hundred grand transporter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. No, very good. I'm happy. I'm done. Yeah, I'm no, get, I appreciate your time. Yeah, no worries. It's good to chat. It's fun. Yeah, we'll have to meet up. We'll have to come down. I'll be around your neck of the woods anyway. I, well, at some point if you're around, but it'd be good to get Liam Definitely. down. Definitely. Well. Um, yeah, for sure. I'm not great at um, getting off the island. I have to say, I always have like good intentions to to come to the West Country more. But um, yeah, just especially with uh, you know having a, a little one and um, doing more actual work you know i've kind of got an actual job nowadays i know i can still loosely like just about justify going on a mission as like work and still kiting and winging in the week you know <laughs> my wife's a lawyer and she's like is that work is wing foiling your job now is it <laughs> i thought you were a kiter turn content creator i don't think you're a wing foiler. i said like, no no honestly i am it's definitely included in the bubble <laughs> the brand i work for happened to make many toys and i must use all of them yeah i need to be proficient in all foiling activities to keep my job so i've got to go see ya <laughs> very good all right well thank you very much cheers Sam. guys so there you go that's it big thanks to sam there for joining us for an evening we did continue talking for a good sort of 45 minutes after this. Um, more so about agenda and how we can move the podcast forward. So we didn't really think you guys needed to listen to it too much. Not really foiling related. Um, Sam's just been super successful with his media and his YouTubing and all that sort of malarkey so it was really interesting to get his kind of advice so thanks again to him for that and for any of you who maybe haven't come across Sam before or haven't uh, been on his YouTube channel have a look there um, he is one of the very few UK guys that has made a really good go at uh, the YouTube channel and the media content and he has got shitloads of followers and he makes some cracking footage so do have a look there um Obviously, that was a very heavily kite-focused one, but it's what we wanted to do. 
that's who he wanted to talk to and he has got a lot of uh, intel in in the industry now which is brilliant through working with slingshot for so long uh for anyone who hasn't listened to some of our previous episodes, Liam and I have had what we feel like is a really good run of, uh, of episodes the last couple of months, and it really does feel like uh, we're getting somewhere. Have a look through the older ones. There are some corkers there as well. So for anyone anyone who's only just joined us in the last few months, maybe with some of the bigger names that we've chatted to, uh, have a look back. There's tons. There's quite a few there now. We are still planning on releasing content as as weekly as we can. Obviously, we've just missed a week. I appreciate we were a little bit exhausted after the the last few weeks and months, I guess, of uh, of podcasting, and it all just came a bit much. Uh, we've got stuff lined up though. We're just trying to liaise with a few people. What seems to happen is we get like a flurry of contacts. We arrange those dates. We chat chat to those guys, and then after that finishes, we go, oh shit, we haven't bloody contacted anyone else so then we've got to liaise with other people uh but it's coming we've got some people reaching out we've reached out to a few others as well and we've got plans in the works as always i think after the chat that we had with sam liam and i were a little bit more invigorated again uh after a, a week-long slump let's say um so yeah watch this space i guess we'll see you all next week <laughs>